Philosophy for Our Times is brought to you in partnership with the New College of the Humanities, a university-level college offering undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in the heart of London. NCH pride themselves on offering unprecedented access to a world-class academic faculty. Philosophy students at the college are taught by some of the foremost scholars in the field, and one-to-one tutorials create a personalised teaching experience. Choose your major and minor for a unique combined honours degree and study the NCH Diploma to widen your appreciation of the world in ways you'd never thought of before. Go to nchlondon.ac.uk for more information. Think better. Think NCH. Hello and welcome to Philosophy for Our Times, the podcast which brings you the world's leading thinkers to debate today's biggest ideas. In this podcast, we bring you exclusive insights with our speakers from our debates. This week, we were joined by Professor of Continental Philosophy at the Anglia Ruskin University, Patricia McCormack. Sustainability, in my opinion, is a myth. It is a myth that humans have created in order that we don't have to actually truthfully look at what we've done to the planet and keep convincing ourselves and lying to ourselves that we can keep behaving in this way and still everyone will be happy. Patricia's research has spanned from feminism to queer theory, cinesexuality and body modification. As author of Post-Human Ethics, she's researched how we can rethink ethics without a dominating human subjectivity. As such, Patricia is also part of the anti-natalist movement, a philosophical position which argues against human exceptionalism to urge people to abstain from procreation. She joined us this week to unpack this position, from the myth of sustainability to how death could be celebrated. To start with, she explained why human exceptionalism is a problem. I think the one thing that people are getting wrong at the moment in society is the idea of human exceptionalism, which is that humans somehow are better than, more important than, and own the planet. And I think that that manifests itself in a number of ways, primarily through the idea that the way that humans perceive the world is the only way to perceive the world. It is a universalizing way to perceive the world and therefore it's being associated with things like absolute truth, with good, with right. And that is a problem because the world is made up of a number of different organisms and also the world is made up of a number of different kinds of human. And so I think that we need to start first rethinking what we mean by the term human, what it means to be human, both in terms of what kinds of human we privilege and what kinds of human we denigrate, and also the relationship that humans have with the environment that they are currently destroying, because the relationship humans have with non-human animals and with environmental territories is one of dominance and one of exertion of power and one where the human perception of those environments is seen as the most important or as the truthful perception. And I think that's problematic because we're not sharing the planet, we're destroying the planet in many different ways. And in that, we're also destroying each other. Patricia continued by showing how human exceptionalism could be combated. There is a great criticism that says that humans do have an indoctrinated exceptionalism that does privilege them. And we have seen many human societies rise and fall where hierarchies are persistent and consistent. 
And so my solution, well, it's not my solution, but it's part of the movement that I belong to, is a movement of uh, antinatalism, where I believe that humans should start caring for the lives that exist now and we should stop privileging reproduction as somehow default or necessary. And that means that humans as a species could wind down because we would then be attending to our fatalistic uh, tendencies that we often repeat over and over. And um, if we do that, we can care for the lives we have now. We have too many humans on the earth and we have humans that don't have food, that don't have access to the things that we take for granted. And also, if we reduce human populations, we reduce human impact. Now, I'm not, of course, suggesting anything eugenic. I'm suggesting total antinatalism. I'm suggesting that people start thinking about their relationship with all organisms and that means do we really need to reproduce? What are we reproducing and why do we still seem to think it's so important? In a world in which we're already seeing the problems which come from ageing populations, we asked Patricia how antinatalism would avoid these problems. All activism, no matter whether we're talking about feminism or anti-racism, activism involves a really important creative component. We, we don't have the answers ready-made for us. We have to learn them. We have to think about them differently. The fact is we already do have an ageing population that we don't know what to do with. So this is an act of activism that we already have to start thinking about. And so I don't necessarily see that as antagonistic towards antinatalism. I see it as already part of our social problems. And I think that it makes everyone accountable and responsible and also hopefully creative in their activism. For many, the call for accountability here on Earth could be challenged by expanding and colonising other planets. Patricia continued by explaining how this is nothing more than human hubris. I think the compulsion to want to colonise other planets that we're looking at in order to proliferate our species because we've screwed up this planet so successfully is an absolutely pure reflection of human hubris in its exceptionalism and it shows an a radical lack of accountability, a radical lack of responsibility, and the most vulgar, revolting form of arrogant pride that is quintessentially human. If colonising other planets isn't an option, then the more earthly endeavour of sustainability might still be an alternative to antinatalism. Patricia explained, however, why this isn't the case. Sustainability is something that makes us feel better about ourselves because it does indeed whitewash our responsibilities and the actions we have already done. What I think is frightening to people is attending to what we've done. I think people do not want to actually look at the reality of what has happened and try and think about how we can rectify that. Instead, they want to say, oh, isn't that a shame? Well, you know, we regret happening, but we also still want to live in this life of luxury and we still want to be dominant. So we're going to try and create fancy words like sustainability and ethical production when we're really still talking about the hierarchical mechanisation of the world which is always viewed with a human perspective and a human exceptionalist perspective. Our sustainability for us doesn't mean anything for the things that we use and enslave in order to create that sustainability. That is a very human kind of perception and so I think it is 
a horrible bourgeois lie. Capitalism has created things like green and sustainable as marketable ideas rather than as something that is actually about real life activism. And I don't think that when we have the responsibility of being green and sustainable and feeling good about ourselves by reusing our cups when we go to multinational coffee companies, this is first of all, all about techniques and technologies of the self that make us feel good about ourselves. And so they're deeply and inherently narcissistic identity politics, rather than about really thinking about broad relations, broad assemblages of life and organisms, broad pictures, because we still want our fancy coffee. And so I think that from the individual's perspective, we are still consumers and we are consuming concepts like sustainability and green rather than living an activist life. And from multinational corporation perceptions, they are doing these things not because they want a better world, but because they want to sell and market these concepts to us and we're buying into them. With an end to procreation comes a change in the way we view death. And Patricia ended by looking to the future of what death could mean for humans. I think we should definitely embrace death. And I think we should embrace it as a concept. We should embrace it as an inevitability. And we should also embrace it because if we have one thing that is ours, it is our own life. And that means that true freedom would come from owning our own death as well. And all of us have probably experienced the slow death of a beloved, whether it's a pet or a family member, or even when we have to bear witness to mass deaths and atrocities, we seem to think about death as something that is not materially real. We have turned it into a pure concept. So death occurs in numbers, you know, in slaughterhouses, death occurs in numbers, in genocides, and they don't have a real materiality. And actually, when you bear witness to someone who is dying, say, of a terminal disease or someone who is sick, you realise that what is important is living life well and living life as it is lived rather than life being quantitative and extended ad infinitum just in order to live longer. Because I don't think that living longer is about life. I think it's about extension. And I also think we really need to ask ourselves some pretty horrible sounding questions like, what is my value here? Do I really produce or do I really gift that much to the world that I am so important that I should live forever or that you know my life is more important than someone else's life. We live in a, a world that is inherently dissymmetrical in terms of what lives are valued and what lives are not valued. So I think that we need to become more intimate with death, we need to start embracing death and we need to start thinking about the inevitability of death. I mean, if we do that, then we can get rid of religions, we can get rid of the fear that is associated with um, technologies that extend life. I think that death can be thought in many, many different ways and I would be uh, interested in welcoming all of those different ways of thinking about death. To hear Patricia debate these questions on the value of life and death, join us for next week's debate where she'll be joined by Oxford transhumanist Anders Sandberg, novelist and essayist Jana Teller to find out whether we should live forever. Please do subscribe to make sure you never miss an episode. 
give us a rating as this helps other people find us. And of course, join us next week for more debates and interviews from the world's leading thinkers on today's biggest ideas. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 